Acts chapter 4, verse 32. We're going to finish Acts chapter 4 today. How many of you have seen the movie Remember the Titans? Anybody seen that movie? Great movie. If you've never, if you like football movies, you should you should pick it up and uh, and watch it. It's a movie set in the uh, the the era of integration of schools, set in Virginia. And uh, there's a school. It's a true story about a school that uh, a, a high school was closed, uh, and then a, a black high school and a white high school were merged together, and they were just thrown into the fire together in the middle of the civil rights movement to like try to figure it out is what happened. And the story centers around a football team uh, that the individual schools were good in their own way, but then they brought them together and now they've got to figure out how to be a team. Anybody ever been on a sports team before? So how many of you know that what's more important than talent on a sports team is the way that the team comes together like glue? How many of you know that's true? That's how Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Come on, guys, help me out. He's a terrible quarterback. But the team came together in unity. It's how Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. It's how the Marlins won the World Series. Like, come on. Because individually, they don't have superstars, but collectively, because they come together in unity and they have the same part and the same purpose and the same goal, then anything can be done. How many of you know that's true? Anything can happen when people come together in unity. Well, what we see in Acts chapter four is a demonstration here of the unity of the church. So let's read in verse 32. Now the full number, if you have a real Bible, which I know not many of you have, but if you have a real Bible, you should underline those two words, full number. At this point, we believe the church was somewhere in the 20,000 person range. Okay, you remember at the end of chapter three, the the believers, the men in the believer, you know, uh, group numbered about 5,000. If you include women, children, grandma, and Uncle Joe, then you've got about 20,000 people that are part of this church at this point. So that, those two words, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. How many of you know that's a miracle? Because the the truth is, is where two or more are gathered, conflict is in the midst of them. When the Lord might be there too, (laughs) but we've got conflict, right? But the Bible says the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any any of their things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, with, and, and great grace was upon them all. I want you to notice the, the powerful things happening. The full number of them were in unity with one another. Do you see that? Is that what it said? They're in unity, man, in heart and soul. We'll get into that in a moment. They had the power of God active among them as they preached the gospel, and they had the great grace of God resting upon the church, probably in relation to the unity in which they were walking. There's a powerful correlation there. They were giving testimony to the Lord 
and grace was on them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. 30-second caveat. This was not socialism as some newer Christians like to purport because it was voluntary. Just want to clear that up. Nobody was saying, you got to go sell your field and give your money away. That's socialism, and I'm going to redistribute it. So not a, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying to you, the, the New Testament church was not a socialist. That's not where they got the idea, okay? They were voluntarily, and that's po- isn't it more powerful when it's voluntary? Isn't that more powerful and more godly that they were saying, hey, my sister, my brother has a need. I'm going to meet that need. It says none of them had need because they shared. They shared the need. How many of you can see unity is incredible? It's like 17 of us. How many of you can see unity is incredible? When the people of God come together in unity, anything is possible. Twice. In the book of Acts, Luke records the power of unity. So I I just had a couple of thoughts. Unity gave the apostles grace and power to lead the church. How did they know how to lead the church? In fact, we're going to get to Acts chapter 6 probably like in two years. And when that happens... When we get to Acts chapter 6 and we find out uh, that there were some problems arising, there were some things that were getting overlooked, not intentionally, but just overlooked, they were able to come to the apostles and were able to say, hey, we got a problem over here because this isn't being taken care of. And the apostles, because of the unity of the body, were not offended, were not angry. What are you saying? What are you saying? We're not doing our job? No, no, no. They responded in grace and said, oh my goodness, we've, we've overlooked something. We better fix this. And the ministry of the deacon was born, right? Unity gave them grace and power to lead. Unity gave them an incredible presence of God. Last Sunday uh, or two Sundays ago when Pastor Greg Allison was here and he talked about how when they came together in unity and prayed a prayer in unity, the place where they were was shaken. I'm waiting for that to happen again. Unity created such community in the world that it attracted the lost and the world to the church. Unity created the ministry of the deacon. Unity created the most prolific church planting and missionary movement unrivaled until the Pentecostal outpouring in the 20th and 21st century. No one else reached the entire known world in all of history except this group. And now in the 20th century, we're working, or 21st century, we're working to that goal. Unity created an opportunity for the leveraging of resources to glorify God. In fact, God put such a spirit in that church, as I read, that none of them saw their property or what they own or their bank account or whatever as their own. I've never seen that before, have you? I've never seen that before. Unity, the Bible tells us, created a church which turned the world upside down. It turned the world. Listen, and I would say this. It was because of unity that the power of God existed in such a prolific way that caused the world to be turned upside down. If they had not had unity, you know as well as I do how quickly factions would have developed and differing doctrine and differing agenda and differing plan. We see it in the church in Corinth, don't we? I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. And Paul says, knock that off. We're all of Christ. 
right? So we see very quickly within a few years of this whole thing, there, was all, there were factions beginning. This church in Jerusalem, 20,000 people were of one heart and one mind in unity, the full number of them. That's incredible. I don't think you're getting how incredible it is. What can I do to show you how incredible it is? I don't have any ideas. I'm just saying. It's incredible. Unity, here's in your notes, unity is a choice. It's a choice and a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what that means. That means unity is a divine tension point. It is fully human because you and I must choose to walk together. What does the Bible say in the Old Testament? Blessed are the people when they walk together in what? What? Oh, unity. Oh, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, blessed are the people of God when they walk together in unity. So it's a, it's a human choice, it's a human decision, but it's also a work of the Holy Spirit. So there's this divine tension point where the Holy Spirit comes in as we choose unity and we move that way. The Holy Spirit comes in and puts the grace and the power of God so that we can remain in unity. There's a power there and there's a divine tension. That statement that the full number of them, I I just want to say, they weren't almost in unity. They weren't like 95% in unity. They were in full unity with one another. And it's hard for me to imagine a time since that moment, since that first century church, where the church lived in a full number of unity with one another. Forget the universal church. I'm just talking about an individual local church. I don't, I don't know one. I've seen close. I don't know if I've ever seen full. The full number can you imagine if the full number of Connection Point Church decided to walk in unity? Can you imagine if we engaged the tension point and we made decisions individually? We're going to live and walk in unity with one another. And we allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and put his grace and power and the giftings and all those things upon us because we chose to walk in unity. Can can I just say to you, God doesn't need 20,000 to turn the world upside down. He just needs about 600. Amen, pastor. That's good preaching, pastor. I'm already asleep, pastor, but praise the Lord that you said that. So how were they united? Well, one, they were, the Bible says they were united with one heart. It's not in your notes. I'm just going to share. United with one heart. The heart, listen, is the place of the emotion, the feelings, the sensings, the desires. It's where we get out of shape, bent out of shape. How many of you know that most bent out of shapeness is emotion? It begins with emotion. There might be rational reasoning, but emotion is what gets us all riled up. Well, that's the place of your heart. In the understanding of a Jewish writer, that was the place of your heart. It means that the early church had united their hearts around the same desires. They all had individual desires and no doubt things they wanted uh, with their life. And, you know, they wanted this and they wanted that and they wanted to go over here and they wanted whatever, whatever their desires were. What they decided to do to be in unity was to lay those things aside, trust God for what he wanted to put in their hands and instead unite around a common thing, a common desire. And we, we know what it is because in verse 28, 
The writer tells us, and this is going back to two weeks ago's passage, but they're praying to the Lord in unity, and they say, hey, Lord, do whatever your hand planned to do. Do whatever you want. And Lord, look upon the threats of the Jews and grant us, uh, your servants, boldness to continue to speak your word. Can I just say they didn't pray for deliverance. They didn't pray for, like, help. (laughs) You know, they, they said, Lord... They didn't even pray for the people who were coming at them. They weren't like, Lord, you smite them, oh God. You know, how many of you ever prayed that prayer? Just be honest about an enemy. Get them, right? Like once or twice. (laughs) That's not what they prayed. They said, Lord, as they threaten us, as they've arrested, remember they arrested Peter and John in, in in early in chapter four. God, as they've done all these things to us, Please don't let us not be bold. Let us not shrink back from the message of the gospel. Let us continue to preach while you, God, stretch out your hand to heal, to do signs and wonders performed in your name. Like, it's remarkable to me. That was their desire. Their desire was not for deliverance. Their desire was not to be safe. Their desire was not to hold on to what they had. Their desire was to be bold for the kingdom of God. That was a good place to shout. I'm just saying. Unity came through decisions that they made to surrender their lives and to yield their life. And ultimately, unity came through the power of the Holy Spirit to move more fully and more powerfully and more incredibly as his people became more and more unified. They were united in heart, but they were also united in soul. Now, some translations say mind. They were united in mind. Here's what all that means. Soul and mind means the same thing. Here's what it means. They were united on where they were going, And the will, the will of the people was the same. Nobody was chasing their own agenda. Nobody was running after the things that they wanted. In fact, they were trading their livelihood for the sake of the kingdom of God. They were risking their jobs. They were risking their their social status. They were risking everything, including their land and their property. They were willing to surrender. And I'll say it this way. They traded their security for kingdom impact. I've not met many believers willing to do that in the 21st century. They traded what was secure to them. In fact, we read about Barnabas in the last verse of this passage and how he sold some land and brought it to the disciples. And they're using, uh, they're introducing Barnabas who became a great apostle. But really that story is to contrast one, two people who were out of unity with the body, Ananias and Sapphira, which, will get, which God just murdered them. I mean, I know we can't say that, right? But he did, because their hearts were wicked. They traded security for kingdom impact. There was not, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were, were owners of land and houses, which was their security. Can you remember? Do you remember when Israel came into the promised land and the allotment of land was given to the nations or was given to the, to the tribes? That was their inheritance. It was their, uh, their, what they were gonna pass on to their children. That it was everything to them. It was their wealth. It was, their, it was what they had. 
The Romans couldn't take it away. The Jewish authorities couldn't take it away. It was everything to them. And they traded it for the kingdom of God. They said, you know what? We count those things as loss. We just push them away. Man, that's incredible. They had boldness. Unity came through decisions to leave it all for the reward of Jesus. And unity came through the power of the Holy Spirit as he sustained them. So what about us? How, is this, how does this matter to us? Well, 2,000 whatever years later, in my estimation, unity is more elusive than it's ever been. We've allowed all kinds, by we I mean the church, we've allowed all kinds of things from serious doctrinal issues, which I just want you to know all the new cool doctrines coming out, they came out before, and we already decided they were heretical, so please don't listen to them. Nothing's new under the sun. There ain't no new doctrine or new revelation. That, was that good English? There ain't no new doctrine or new revelation that's coming to the kingdom. The doctrines of the scriptures we've known for 2,000 years. We teach what Christ taught. We teach his ways, right? Period. So I just say that because uh, the younger generations seem to get enamored with these things that they think are new and they're not new. They're very old. So 2,000 years later, we, we have divisions from serious doctrines all the way to petty methods and practices that lead us to vitriol, vitriol to one another, divisions, and sometimes even hatred within the body of Christ. There's even hatred in the body of Christ. Unity in the universal body seems impossible to me. It seems impossible to me that that could never happen again, at least not the way that things are set up today. It seems out of reach until Jesus comes back. I do believe Jesus will come back and he will be like, guys, 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 you really messed this thing up. I never meant for you to have Catholics and Protestants and then 787 different kinds of Protestants. Like I never meant for that. And we're divided over things like singing style. Right? <laughs> it, like it, it, it's, it's so laughable sometimes when you think about it and break it down. Now, we want to be divided over if Jesus was truly God and truly man, we can talk. We can talk. Oh, that's the one that's out there now. It's not new. So what about us? If it's out of reach for the larger body of Christ, is it within reach for Connection Point Church? Is it within grasp? And, and here's the thing, Here, here's the thing, side note, Zach's gonna shoot me, he says I say everything that comes into my head, but here's something that came into my head. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I wanna say this kindly, but what's in reach for Connection Point Church? Here's the reality, some of you sit in chairs, but you're not part of this church. You come on Sunday a couple times a month, you nibble around the edges, you're like, well, we need to be in church, or man, my kids really like the kids program or whatever, but you're not really part of the church. And I don't mean that in a, in, in a condemnation way, I'm saying it this way, why don't you come on in? Like, are we scary? Am I scary? I realize sometimes I am scary, right? <laughs> but can, can I, can, let me say this this way to you. When Jesus returns, he's coming back for a church. 
He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for people who are part of his bride. You're like, well, the church has hurt me and whenever I get close to the church, I get hurt or stuff, stuff happens. Or what. I'm not saying the church is perfect. I am saying that when Jesus comes back, if you take the church, the capital C church around the world, and you put it, you know, and make it, let's make it a human form, right? So it's a bride. And you're standing over here going, eh, mm, like Jesus, come back and get me, but I don't know if I want to be a part of that mess. He's going to say to you, I don't, I don't know who you are. I, and I, look, I, I feel it right now. Like some of you don't like that I just said that. But the reality is if you're nibbling on the edges of the church, look, you don't like this one, go find one, but be in one. Be part of it. Be involved. Be engaged in the things of God. I could read all kinds of scriptures from Hebrews that tell us don't give up meeting together. Keep spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Keep getting involved. Keep serving. Keep pursuing. Keep challenging one another. Keep encouraging and pushing one another towards the things of God. You say, I don't, this is another great American gospel. I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. Okay, but take that up with Jesus because he's the one that set it up this way. I, like, I don't know what to say to that. So look, my word for you, if you're nibbling around the edges, what can we do about Connection Point? The first thing that can happen is you, you guys that are nibbling around the edges and you show up when you feel like it, go ahead and get in all the way. Go ahead and get in all the way. And if you're like, I don't want to do it here, great. I, I love you. We're members and uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, but get in all the way somewhere. Okay. Whew. It's tough today. But the reality is this. I want the outcomes of the early church. I want in reality the things that happened in the early church to be present and active in Connection Point Church. Don't you? I want robust, passionate, and dynamic spiritual life that shakes the foundations of our life and maybe physically the foundations of Lafayette. I want incredible community where we love one another so ridiculously that the world goes, man, I got to be part of that. I don't care if they come for our money at first and they meet Jesus because we paid a bill for them. I want leaders who love and give and serve the church selflessly, and we have many. I want people operating in their calling and sent globally around the world and locally here. Globally is a real word, global. Go around the world globally. Go locally here. It's a globally for the Lord. I want people anointed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, operating and anointing, not when they're standing at this altar, but when they're in the marketplace. I want a church planting and missional movement, a movement. I don't want two or three nice little churches that we put where there isn't one. I want a movement. I want a church full of people who are corporately leveraging their resources, not only to reach, uh, reach, uh, take care of the support and the work of the kingdom of God in the church, but I want to send more money than we spend here overseas and in other parts of America. This America is a desert and it needs the gospel. That's what we're becoming. So what do we do? Well, here's in your notes. Number one, we got to unify our hearts. I mean, the only thing I know to do is to, is to model and pattern what we decide to do on the, on the back of the first century church. 
like, I don't know what, I don't think there's like, God's not inventing new ways of doing the kingdom, right? He gave us all that he had for the kingdom. So what did they do? They unified their hearts. So what do we need to do? We need to unify our hearts. It's not an emotion. It's not something we feel. I think it's a decision we make. What does it mean to unify our hearts? It means we all lay down our preferences. That'll be hard for some of you. We lay down our preferences in methodology. We lay down our preferences in style. We lay down our preferences in mission. We lay down our preferences in direction. And you know what we do? And, and, and by the way, when I say we, I include Jeff. Because what we do is we come to an altar like this one and we just go, God, here we are. Whatever, whatever you want is what we want. So we lay down all of our agendas and all of our ways of doing church and all, all of our ideas of how this thing should be done. We lay all those aside in our preferences. We also lay aside our personal ambitions and our competing values. And just so we stick with the P idea, preferences, personal ambitions, we lay down our piddly non-essentials. I like that word. Our piddly non-essentials and our useless arguments. Why? Because they do nothing to advance the kingdom of God. Notice the early church did not get into that until they've spread out and, 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 and factions began to arise and things began to happen very quickly. We can't let that be us. Let's not let that be us. So we lay those things down, but what do we unify our heart around? How about this? His presence is our pursuit. How about we be people that pursue the presence of God just like that church did? How about we be people that release the kingdom of God through unified and prophetic prayer? Why? Because prayer is our priority. If we're going to do anything around here, we're going to pray. We're going to release the kingdom of God prophetically through prayer so that it will be activated when we go out and do it physically. How about we reach the lost? How about we go not only to other nations of the world, not only sending missionaries around the world, which we're going to do in a robust way, but how about we go ourselves? How about you and I share our faith with people who don't know Christ? What if? You know, that's something the first century church did, pretty robustly shared their faith. And they didn't come with wisdom of words because they weren't educated. Guess how they came? In the power of God. Paul even said to the Corinthian church, he said, I didn't come you trying to impress you with my speech. I didn't come to preach. In fact, Paul was a pretty boring preacher. If you read, he waned on and on. Unlike me. I mean. But something tells me when Paul prayed, the room was shaken. Something tells me when Paul worshiped, the room was shaken. Why? Because he was reaching the lost. He was preaching the gospel. And as he did, God came alongside and, and demonstrated the power of God. What if each of us live our call? What if we support and love and serve others? Because people are our purpose. We've got to unify our hearts. Second, we've got to unify our souls. We gotta, here's all you need to know about the soul or the mind. It is the part of us that is eternal. So here's what I want to say. Can we unite not on 
a methodology and idea and how we're going to execute the different things God tells us to do, can we instead unite that this is an eternal mission? This is a mission for eternity? We're not playing games here. We're not trying to right the wrongs of society. We're trying to eternal, bring people in to eternity. Now, sometimes you got to deal with societal things and cultural things to do that. And sometimes you're going to take heat when you do that, aren't you? But that's, that's what we have to remember. Why? An eternal perspective affects the way you raise your kids. Did you know that if you have your eyes on eternity and your goal is to get your kids into heaven, not get them a good career and a good job and a good education, but if your goal, number one, is to get them into heaven, you will treat them and raise them differently? Because eternal perspective changes how you raise your kid. It influences how you spend your money. You might change the way that you use your time or your talent or your treasure if you begin to see the kingdom of God and see this life from an eternal perspective. Eternal perspectives inform what hills you decide to die on. I think that could be enormous. I won't even pontificate on that. Eternal perspective focuses our hearts on what is above. We said it today, focus on what is above. Let the affections of the things of this world die away. Eternal perspectives demand death to our flesh. And there it is, isn't it? That is, if you, what what does Paul write in Galatians? If you minister, I'll say it, if you minister to your flesh, guess who will win? But if you minister through the spirit, your flesh dies. And I, I want to say it this way. You can't serve your flesh and serve the king. You got to pick. You got to pick. Our souls, our souls need to be united in one perspective. Lastly, we need to unify our testimony. With great power, verse 33, the apostles were given, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Can I just say, we won't ever preach and you have to make a commitment, you'll never preach another gospel except the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to decide. We've got to decide. Our testimony, our story is for the glory of God. No one gets famous out of this thing. There's no selfish ambition. Nobody's name gets put on a website or a bulletin board or or, or a banner or whatever. No one makes a name for themselves. The gospel is not for sale. We reject, this is where I am, we reject all forms of Christianity outside of the biblical idea of Christ, Christ crucified, Christ risen from the dead, and Christ returning soon. It's our only message. There's no other gospel. There's a lot of gospels out there being peddled as the gospel, but the only gospel is Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead and our soon coming king. That's the gospel of God. That's the testimony of our message. And we must be unified in the testimony of our message. Some people say, and I'm almost done, I promise. Some people say, this unity that the first century church had was just a special Grace put upon them. 
It was just something for that season of the, the life of the church because God knew all that the church needed to do and you know, where it needed to go and it, it needed to be, you know, have this special unity on it. That's what a lot of scholars say. Can I, can I say, I flat out reject it. And here's why. Because if you say that, you also must say, then the gifts of the spirit ceased. If the unity of the body ceased, then the gifts must have also ceased. But if the gifts didn't cease, neither did the opportunity the church has to be unified as the body of Christ. It didn't. It's not a special grace. It's a grace available to us. It's an anointing available to us. If it were true for them, it's true for us. Do I think it's difficult? It'll be hard? <laughs> you bet. Have you met Americans? It's an uphill battle, a nearly impossible thing. I mean, I think we would say if we look at it in the natural, it's impossible. But my friends, Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So I believe that kind of unity, that kind of power, that kind of uh, exhibition of the ways of God and the things of God can happen and can happen here journey like that is for everyone. It's for all who are called. It's for all who will pursue it. You know, I said to you earlier today, it's simply an invitation. It's not a coercion. No one's going to kick you out of our church if you decide to not be in unity. No one's going to ask you to do something else or go. No, none of that's going to happen. I'm going to keep praying that you'll come all the way in. That's what I'm going to do. Come all the way in. Don't nibble around. Come all the way in. It's a journey for everyone. So if you want to embark on this journey, if you want to come with me, if you want to go to the places that the Father has set for us in a remarkable and incredibly impactful journey, this is your moment. This is your opportunity to say yes. I love this passage from Isaiah. If you'd stand with me this morning. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. If you don't have any money, come anyway. Come and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for, what, uh, for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. And they're talking about the things of God. Delight yourself in the things of God. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Man. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love. I'm inviting you into unity. I'm inviting you to unify your heart with mine. I'm inviting you to unify your soul. I'm inviting you to unify the message of the gospel. I'm inviting you to say to the Lord, that tension point, you know, on the journey we are here, we're making our own decision. Will you unify with me? Here's how we're gonna respond. If you say, yeah, I wanna unify, I want to be part of this. I want to see what God is doing. I just want you to come to the altar. Get your family, get your kid by the hand if your kids are in here. And I just want you to come. Would you do it right now? If that's you, if you want to be part of it, you want to unify, would you come? And we're just going to seek the Lord for a moment together.
So press all the way in so everybody can come. This journey is for everybody. There's nobody left out. There's no socioeconomic person left out. There's no race left out. I don't care if you're European or African or South American or some other race. You're Asian. You come. We want to be together in the journey. This is a thing of God. This is not something we're doing. Would you just lift your hand? Come on, if you're down. Come on, don't hesitate. If you want to be in this thing, come on, would you come? We're still going to have church next week. Would you come right now? Would you lift your hands? Come on, if you're at the altar. And would you just tell the Lord, God, I'm in. God, I'm in. I'm all the way in. I'm not part way in. I'm not halfway in. I'm not a third of the way. I'm going to stop nibbling on the edges. I'm going to come all the way in. Come on, would you say that to the Lord? God, I'm all the way in. Whatever you ask of me, whatever you want, whatever's got to happen in my heart or my soul or my message or my finances or my purposes or my desires or my agendas or whatever, God, I lay them at your feet. Come on, can you say that to the Lord? Would you say it out loud to the Lord? God, I've held back. I've had my own agenda. I've been frustrated. I've been waiting for things to happen the way I want them to happen. So God, I just let that go right now. I let it go right now. I lay it down. Lord, we do that as a body. God, I've designed in my own heart how I think things ought to go and what I think things, what, what things ought to happen. Lord, I just crucify those things and I put them on the altar. We lay them on the altar right now. God, we're choosing unity. Come on, say that to the Lord. I'm choosing unity, God. I'm choosing unity in my life, in my purpose, in my plans. I'm choosing unity, God. Lord, I'm picking that tension point, and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to come and do in us what you did in that early church. I'm asking you, God, to come and make your presence real. Make your power real. Demonstrate the things of God. Do incredible work, Father, through this body, into this community, into greater Lafayette, around the world, in Jesus' name. God, come and do great things in us. So, Lord, we'll do our part. We'll catch our attitudes. We'll catch our offense. We'll catch, God, the, the times we're disappointed because something didn't go the way we thought. Lord, we'll catch ourselves and we'll choose unity so that the Spirit of God can come in with grace and power and anointing to do the work. In Jesus' name, we choose unity right now. Come on, lift your hands all over the room. Would you bless the Lord? Thank God for the unity of the Spirit, the power of God at work among us, and what you're going to do. Lord, I pray you reconcile any broken relationship in this room. Lord, I pray that you bring such a spirit of healing, God, that anybody who's frustrated with somebody else, there would just somehow be a divine healing, God. We can't walk in strife and walk in unity at the same time. So God, let us be joined together in love, in support, in passion, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Nobody walks alone. Nobody walks alone. Nobody does this thing on their own. God, we yield to your presence. We yield to your presence. We yield to your presence. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want us to pray the prayer just, just as we close. I want us to pray the prayer earlier in chapter 4 that the Lord would do what he set his hand to do through Connection Point Church. That the Lord would do that. Nothing more, nothing less. Would you pray that? Come on, say it out loud. Lord, that you would do what you set 
before the foundations of the earth to do, that you would do that at Connection Point Church, that you would show each of us the role we play in it. We're not here by accident. We're not here, God, by happenstance. We're here because you set the members of the body. So God, show us what it is and help us to do it. Accomplish through us what you set for Connection Point Church to do and to be 40 years ago, God, when you laid the foundations in the spiritual, you had designs and plans for this body. So God, bring them to pass, I pray, in Jesus' name. Bring them to pass, I pray, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. No more human agenda, no more human plan, only the work of God and the kingdom of God to advance among us, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. 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 Thank you, 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 Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Can I say one more thing? I'm going to let you go. I think I already said that. This, this moment is the easy part. This is the easy part because the enemy's going to come in and tempt some of you with, with offense. He's going to ask you to get grumbly. And you're going to have to say, no, I'm going to walk in unity. Somebody's going to say something and you're going to wonder if the church is even saved anymore. And you're going to have to say, you know what? That's the enemy because I know the heart of that church. I know the passion of that church and that is not what that church would be. You're going to have to actually think like that because that's how you choose unity. And if it turns out that there is something that comes in that's incongruent or wrong, you, the Holy Spirit's gonna say, hey, gently and with care and love, why don't, you go sh- why don't you go share that with pastor or whatever? Can I say don't send an email? I wanna, and I'm not kidding, when, when, the, when the Greek widows came and said, hey, they're overlooking us in the distribution of food. The apostles did not go, you guys need to get with yourself. They didn't cop an attitude. They said, hey, listen, we got to fix that, and we're not the best at it, so we're going to put some people in place who are going to make sure this doesn't happen again. I want our leadership to have that heart. And I can promise you, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, we'll have that heart. You might be wrong, and we might look at you and say, you know, we love you, but I think you're, miss- I think you're not seeing that right. But when we are wrong, we'll receive it and we'll repent. I'll do it from this pulpit. And if you don't think I will, you haven't been listening to me for 18 months. I'll tell you and I'll ask forgiveness because that's unity. That's unity. So my challenge to you, because I know the enemy's a jerk. Here's my challenge. And I prayed it a moment ago, but if, if you're in this church and you have any enmity between you and somebody else in this body, we cannot afford to allow those things to fester and that, that will not produce unity. So if you got any of that, I don't care if it happened 30 years ago, two of you guys were on the board and you got into it and you haven't been the same since. That didn't happen. That's not a real story. I don't, I totally, I saw Steve, so I made that up. But anything like that, where there's been any kind of, let's not put it under the rug. Let's bring it into the light so that it can be healed. 
Because when Jesus comes back, guys, I want him to find this church like this. Doing the work of the kingdom, supporting one another, walking together in love and passion. Like what a phenomenal journey for us to be on together until Jesus comes again. Amen? Doesn't that sound a lot better than striving and like, eh, you know, just trying to do your own thing? Isn't it better? So come with me. God, give us grace. Give us grace. Pour out your spirit and give us grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you so much. You are awesome people. God bless you. Let's go together. Come all the way in. Nobody's alone. Have a great day.